It started at 10 o'clock yesterday morning. Chapel was scheduled to end at 11 o'clock yesterday morning. It didn't end at 11 o'clock yesterday morning. It didn't end at 11 o'clock last night. It didn't end at 11 o'clock this morning. In fact, as Jim and I took the air, it was still going on. Today's episode, we have a conversation that's historic. We're talking with someone who started a movement that changed our nation, and we're gonna hear firsthand from her how that all happened and what part that she played. I can't wait to get into it on today's episode of Thought Factory. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer, and this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. As this episode is released, this is being timed to be released on what is a very, very special day. Today, we're commemorating the 50-year anniversary of when God moved in a small group of students in a small town in Kentucky at Asbury College in what became known as the Asbury Revival. And on February 3rd, 1970, something happened to this college and this community that what began as a normal chapel service at their school went for 185 hours straight, and it touched the nation, and it touched the world and we're still talking about it today. So today is a, is a very special day for us because of what it represents and what we believe God is stirring up again. We know that He continues to move, and there's many that sense that what God was doing in the days of what became known as the Jesus Movement is about to happen again. That's why this episode, probably as we recorded it, has become my favorite of all of our eight seasons so far. This summer... We have something very significant that's happening, Claim Your Campus 2020. If you've been listening to this podcast, you've heard us talk about it, and this is a significant opportunity for all of us that are involved in the lives of students because we are calling together a generation to experience God all together in a moment on July 4th weekend in Kansas, and then we are sending students back out to their schools and calling them to show and share Jesus on their campus. And Jason, I cannot wait for July 4th weekend for Claim Your Campus 2020 and what God is about to do. In part of that preparation, you recently took a journey to Asbury. You visited this this chapel in Asbury College. Would you like to share any of that, that experience firsthand because you've never visited it before, but because of the significance of Claim Your Campus 2020 and it, this being the 50th anniversary to commemorate the revival of of God's movement, uh, you went and visited that that place. What was it like? We feel like that what happened 50 years ago is tied to what's coming this summer for this event, and we don't know exactly how. But so as a part of that, we're filming a backstory of a video that we'll be releasing and uh, talking about what God has done in the past. And Because, you know, Jason, when we talk about in this episode here and being in that chapel, we see it in uh, throughout biblical history and in our history that's evolving even yet today that we're, as a part of the movement of God, we're involved in this stream, that we come along for a certain period of time in a season, and then, you know, James says we're like a mist. Our lives just come and go, but God's story continues to roll on. And as I stood in that chapel, one of the things that is so unique about that experience for me is that chapel exists 
as it was 50 years ago. In other words, probably other than the carpet and maybe paint on the walls, that chapel, Hughes Auditorium, at what's now Asbury um, University, is exactly the same. I mean, the wooden, old school wooden theater seats in there, the the fixtures, the the decor, and it has such a a classic feel to it. Doesn't I mean it feels dated, but it doesn't feel old or out of date, if that makes sense. And so, seeing the footage and pictures and hearing the stories and standing there, knowing that it has been preserved and it's still used, so it's not like it's you know a museum. Right. It's it's still used in there. Um, at the university for their chapels, but standing there felt surreal because, and it felt sacred. It felt sacred to stand there and to, and to know that God did something in this very room, in this very space, right at some of the places where I was standing and kneeling and praying and, and there that did something that touched the nation. And that's connected to Claim Your Campus 2020, where in our conversations, outside of when the mic is on and in our staff meetings and, and when we are just talking with other leaders, this movement of God and what we are expecting through this event, we are really stepping into that stream. We sense that God is moving, not just through this event, but through multiple events through the course of the country. And we are invited into what he's doing and his movement. And we're, just trying to be obedient to what he is calling us to. And that for us looks like claiming campus 2020. Yes. And with that stream, Jason, we, there's something about you'll hear the story today. There was an anticipation. There was a shared belief among some people that something was about to happen, that God was about to do something. And we always want to be so careful when we talk about claim your campus 2020, that we don't presume to know what God will do, and we don't assume anything. We, but there is, there is a shared anticipation that many people are feeling way beyond even our own network, ministries, leaders, organizations, denominations of all different kinds are feeling the same thing that that there's something coming and there's an anticipation, and so we humbly pray and ask that. At this event, Claim Your Campus 2020, we humbly ask God, do something and show up and visit us and do what you want to do. And, and we want our agenda to be his agenda. And that that's the that's the feeling we have going into this. And we we talk regularly on this podcast about this event. And we we want to talk while we have the audience here, you and I, Jason, about it's more than an event. We want people to know that there's a heart behind it and there's a story behind it. This story actually goes back 40 years. We found out just a few months ago that there was a man that lived in this little town in Kansas of 1,200 people that felt that God spoke to him 40 years ago and said something significant and national, a national gathering will happen in your community and it will touch the nation. He prayed that for 40 years and passed away just a few months ago, about a year ago, at age 103. Hmm. And he prayed for 40 years in anticipation. And we just so happened to choose this location for this event in that little town years ago, never having known about this um, person and this man, John Leader, that had been praying for 40 years. So it's stories like that 
that we're hearing and discovering more and more that we feel like will be significant. And prayer is the thread through both of these stories. And that's what will be fascinating to, to listen to is how prayer is a significant piece in Janine's story and really a, a piece of what we're doing and what we're calling students to do for a movement of prayer in their schools. So find out more, claimyourcampus2020.com and, uh, and be a part of what God's doing there. This episode, Jason, I said this when we were off air, it's probably my favorite. We've had a lot of episodes. This is our eighth season. So for me, there's a lot of episodes that stand out. This one, to me, it almost feels, I used this word earlier, but it feels sacred because of the conversation that that we're about to to listen to and have with with Janine Carol Braven. And she, as you'll hear, was a part of of history. And and I believe um, she wouldn't say this probably about herself, but she was the epicenter. God used her in a significant way to begin this movement. And you know, it's one student that started a movement and that's the hope and the excitement. And that's really what's driven me in youth ministry for 30 years is to see the power and the influence that one student can have. And you're going to hear throughout this conversation as you listen, you're going to hear different ways that she, uh, describing herself as shy, stepped forward and, and did bold things, some public, some behind the scenes. But she was willing to to step forward in her faith, and I think that made all the difference in what we saw God do. And as you listen to this episode, this is edited a little bit different. We're a lot less involved. We feel like because of the nature of the story and and the importance of this moment in history, we wanted this podcast episode to feel historic. So we're going to be narrated through this story by the former president of Asbury College, Dr. Dennis Kinlaw, as well as Janine. And you're also going to hear historic news footage of this event as well. I'm Dennis Kinlaw, and I've been invited to share with you something of the story of how the Spirit of the Lord came to the campus of Asbury College in 1970. You say, okay, how did it come? What caused it? No question in my mind, but one of the things was our need. <laughs> we, we needed it a lot worse than anybody else around. Uh, and God honors need in his mercy, in his infinite mercy. But another thing, we had some students who were interested in prayer. Janine Braben was one of those students who was compelled to pray, something that became a priority to her at an early age of her life. But prayer became an important part in my life, and walking in obedience to God became really a priority. And I, while I was in my high school years, God called me to prayer. I knew the power of prayer. I knew prayer could make a difference. So when I got to Asbury College, students were trying to get the president out, and um, they wanted me to sign a, a petition. And the Lord just challenged me. He said, Janine, I want you to pray. And I knew I could criticize or I could pray. So I, I began to pray, and the Lord challenged me to pray for revival. One young lady became deeply concerned for the blessing of God on our campus. I was again challenged, the Lord said, I want you to pray for every student by name. So I went to the registrar's office. I had no idea if I'd do this. 
but I asked him for a list of all the entire student body. So I put it in a, a notebook and I carried it with me everywhere. So I was always praying for some student, praise for the entire student body of the college. My sophomore year, I Lord challenged me to, to get a room where we could pray before chapel. Well, I was very shy. Very shy, but I went to the, to the spiritual life coordinator. She sent me a student body president. Each person for me was trauma, but I obeyed the Lord. I went and I asked them, told them my idea, and they said, go talk to the academic dean. So I went to the academic dean, and he he talked and talked, and then finally said, what do you want? And I told him, he'll go find a room that's not being used for a class, and you can pray there. This is a huge auditorium. Janine's prayers didn't remain private, as she soon gathered her fellow classmates to join her in prayer. So she gathered a group around her, and they started praying. I also wanted, desired to see more of the student body leadership, the, the students that were in leadership in the campus, involved in daily devotions and Bible study. So I improvised the Great Wesley Experiment and adapted it to college life, where, where we would use... Um, we would have so much time in prayer every day and witness and read the scriptures. And so I got, I got a group. I just, we did it with a small group, and then I was hoping to do that in, in January as an experiment with the leadership. But I did notice that fast prayer were were, we had it once a week on Thursdays. I noticed that the altar was full, so I said it to another now, in addition to this, the, the young lady that I told you about in her group, they had gone to proper authorities and asked for a chance to have a place for prayer and so forth, and they would meet for prayer, and then they started having night prayer meetings, and they called an all-night prayer meeting in Hughes Auditorium, and a large group of them gathered around the altar. Now, here's the way they worked. They were praying for God to come. And when they would finish a prayer meeting, they'd look at each other and say, do you think he'll come today? So I went to the, being a student. He had looked at glasses and he looked at me. And I told him, I said, you know, God's working. He's working in the men's dorm, working in the women's dorm. We have a, we have a desire to pray, really pray through and believe God for, for revival to come on campus. And he, he told me, he said, well, I'll do it on two conditions. You take responsibility for any women that sign up to go to the prayer meeting. And I might, we'll make one announcement. No posters, nothing. So one announcement, there were maybe 70 people present when they made the announcement mm. about the prayer meeting Friday, that Friday night, October 3rd. So I went to the Hughes Auditorium before 12 and turned on the skylight. To my surprise, within the first 20 minutes, 10 big strapping around athletes, men that students came in and knelt at the altar. And in 20 minutes, 150 students were in Hughes Auditorium praying. We began praying all over the auditorium in small groups. We began praying, confessing things, praying, asking God to come, recorded scripture on the promise of uh, if you confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and 
For God's love the world that gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Scripture was quoted or read all across the auditorium. Then we, we went to my people who were called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. I will hear from heaven and I'll, I'll heal their land. And we started singing, and the, the, we could just lift the rafters. Singing was incredible. I went up on the balcony, mm. and I just could This was about 3 in the morning. I just couldn't believe that I was singing. I mean, it was this, the Shekinah glory of God was there. It was, I had never seen anything like it. At 3 in the morning, there were still um, 80 students present. We formed a chain all around, from the down below, all around the up above the altar, and thank God that he was going to come in revival power amongst us as a campus. In October, before the Spirit came in February, six students came together and banded together in what they called the Great Experiment. They covenanted for 30 days to take 30 minutes every morning and spend in prayer with the Word, writing down what truth they got from the Word they were to obey that day, sharing their faith somewhere in the course of a day, and meeting once a week for those 30 days, and checking up on each other to see that each one had done his disciplines that, that, that week. So for 30 days, they met that way, and they worked that way. At the end of that 30 days, we came to the, toward the end of the fall term. At the beginning of the winter term, each one of those six picked up five people. And so there were six groups of six that were getting up every morning for 30 minutes extra to pray and spend in uh, time with God. That experiment ended the 30th, first, I think, of January. On the 31st of January, they had the chapel, and there were 36 of them on the platform. And those 36 shared what that great experiment had done for them. And they had in every seat in the auditorium a commitment slip. And they asked every student in the student body to commit himself to become a part of a group of six who would, just for 30 days, who would engage in this experiment. That was on Saturday, the 31st of January. So I went to Dr. Kinwell, the college president, Dennis Kinwell, and I told him, and I said, but don't worry, God's coming. He's going to come. We have that promise. So in January, we did the great experiment, and I got 30 leaders of the college. We had three groups, and we went through the the disciplines that John Wesley had for for the ones that were members of his, his class meetings. And then we, we presented it on the 31st of Saturday. We began to get students by Monday, we had about 300 requests of students wanting to be in a small group. In some ways, that was the most impressive chapel I think I ever saw at Asbury. Students sharing what time with God had done for them. It was, that was on the 31st. The next chapel was Tuesday, the 3rd of February. That uh, morning of February 3rd in 1970, I got up early. I had to fly to Banff or to Cal Calgary, Alberta. I landed in Calgary about 5 p.m. Calgary time. When I checked into the hotel, 
the hotel agent behind the desk said to me, I have a, an emergency note for you. And so he handed me a slip of paper with a name on it and a telephone number that I was supposed to call. I took a look at the name and the telephone number and knew instantly that it was the dean of the college. Now those were the days when college campuses were erupting, when they were locking presidents in their offices and when they were rioting on campuses. And my first thought was, emergency, the dean, what's happened in my absence at Asbury? So five o'clock Calgary time was about seven o'clock Wilmore time, Kentucky time. So I walked immediately across the corridor before I went to my room with a Canadian dime and put it in a telephone. And within, uh, oh, 30 seconds, I was able to get the dean. I caught him at home. He said to me, I have a problem and I don't know quite how to handle it. And my blood pressure rose a little bit. He was a fellow who had done everything from run a one-room schoolhouse in the mountains of Kentucky to being an academic dean, and he could handle anything. I trusted him completely. And so he said, I have a problem and I don't know how to handle it. So I said, what's that? He said, it's chapel. And I said, what do you mean chapel? Well, he said, the chapel isn't over yet. <laughs> and I said, would you repeat that, please? And he said, the morning chapel isn't over yet. I said, what do you mean it isn't over yet? It's seven o'clock at night. He said, that's right, it isn't over yet. Hundreds of people from Kentucky, Indiana, and Michigan attended a testimony service on the campus of Asbury College in Wilmore. Tuesday, which is the third, I went up to my seat and my chapel partner says to me, I have a test next hour. And I said, I do too. She said, but I don't think I'm gonna take it. I said, you feel that way? She said, yeah. And we both looked and we, so who could speak at chapel. We both looked at each other and we wondered how God's going to work. It was the academic thing, but that was providential. And I said, what happened? And then he told me. He was scheduled to speak that morning. And instead of speaking, he had given his witness. He never became a Christian until he was an adult and uh, in the realm of education. And so he simply shared his witness. And after he had shared his witness, he opened it for other students in the student body to share what Christ was doing in their lives and what he was saying to them. He, he stood up, he said, I'm not going to speak. And I said, I'm going to open it. I'm going to open this up for testimonies. So an all-round athlete in the senior section, he was the Jim Jamboree clown. He was a real likable guy. He stood up and he said, I've been a hypocrite, and he shared how God had come into his, in the dorms, how God had gotten hold of him, and showed him how it was fault, how he was a two-faced, and he just shared. And after that, other people stood up, and we couldn't hear him, so they had him come up to the altar, come up to the platform. Pretty soon there was a line, and within uh, any time, students began getting up out of their seats and going down to the altar. There was a remarkable response. About five minutes before the hour for chapel was over, a philosophy professor turned to the dean who had come down and was sitting on the front row in chapel, turned to him and said, God is here. If you give an invitation, there will be a response. And at 11 o'clock, the time came, first bell came for, for class. And 
I, my chapel, other chapel partner said to me, Jane, we can't quit. This is tough here. So will you go up and you tell the, you, you get out and you go, you go tell the dean. So he gets up and the philosophy professor as well. They both arrived at the same time with the same message. Hmm. And the academic dean, the only one who could call off class was in charge of chapel. And he just said, oh, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to cancel class this next hour. Well, it it was it was it continued, and at twelve o'clock I knew that it, the revival that that I prayed and longed for was here. It started at ten o'clock yesterday morning. Chapel was scheduled to end at eleven o'clock yesterday morning. It didn't end at eleven o'clock yesterday morning. It didn't end at eleven o'clock last night. It didn't end at eleven o'clock this morning. In fact, as Jim and I took the air, it was still going on. Let's have a look and a listen. Larry, this is quite an event here at Asbury. What does this mean to you? Oh, I can't, I can't express it. I tell you, the Lord has been planning this for so long. The prayers have been going up in girls and the guys' dorms and all over the world, I tell you, and it's finally happened. And he let us know the day before it happened. He said, during a prayer meeting in our dorm, and he said, it's going to happen tomorrow. And it did, and he just opened it up, and he let it fly, and that's all I can say. He told me that he wanted me to get up and say something. I said, the only way you're going to get me up is to kick me out of the seat, and he did. And I tell you, it's just blessed everybody. I'm not kidding you, the, the greatest outpouring of, of God's love and the Holy Spirit, and I can't express it. I tell you, I'm just amazed, and I'm glorifying his name. I'm praising his name today. It all started when one student gave his testimony. That was followed by another, and the testimonies have been going ever since. He gave an invitation, and that started a response that lasted until the next Tuesday morning. A week later, at 8 o'clock, a week later, when we began classes again. All I remember is that week, I saw that the power of God and I, I just filled with joy. I'd stand up and I'd be up and I just watched the hardest the people that you never think would would repent or come, see him going down to the altar and coming to grips with God. Just an incredible week. I don't think I slept 20 hours that week, and I don't remember eating, but because you didn't want to miss anything, it went for 185 hours. So it was it was so powerful and such a transforming experience. Was there a specific prayer that you prayed, something maybe that you repeated or, or you focused on when you prayed for Asbury? Well, we pray the, pray the scriptures. I would stay up all night many times and pray. And I pray for, pray for people um, individually. I mean, I would never tell a student I was praying for them or I didn't write their name down. So... Um, but I found the power of praying through the scriptures. You know, Lord, you've promised that um, if my people will humble themselves, I get praying that one. I pray the scriptures, basically. And I just had a, uh, an intense passion and earnestness to see God come. I didn't know how. I had no idea what it would be like, but I, that was the, my, my, my whole heart. I mean, sometimes I couldn't even express the in words. I mean, I just felt a deep passion, a deep hunger to see God come. I, I want to tell just a, a quick story. I want to get your perspective that there's some a friend of a friend of mine 
who was a freshman at Asbury when this happened, and I couldn't recall his name if he asked me, but um, when my friend asked, you know, someone who was there, and they said, have you ever felt any other moment like what happened in that chapel that we're talking about? He said he felt it one other time at another Christian university years later as a faculty member, and he said something was starting to happen just like in the chapel, And he said, in Asbury, just like you mentioned, the academic dean stood up and said, we're going to stay here. And the the phrase that I've heard passed down is he said, we need to tarry. But in the the later instance, um, he said that when that started to happen, this actually was 30 years later in 1999, he said, the only other time I felt that, same thing was happening in a Christian college chapel. And the, the chaplain stood up and said, we need to move on and go to class and come back tonight. And he said, it stopped at that moment. And one of the things I'm wondering is for you, as you think about that, what do you think would have happened if that academic dean had not made that statement about canceling classes? Have you ever thought about that? No, but I just know that God, God orchestrated it. You know, um, God, God, Definitely was charged. I mean, him being sensitive to the spirit. Dr. Kinnell said that he was the not in town at the time. He, he, he said, you know, he was the only one that could do cancer class. And he was sensitive. He was a lay preacher. And so he just said, let's just carry it. He said, yes, that's what he did. But I think, too, you know, it has to be people that MC and are in charge of a service. If they're responsible for God or how if they're sensitive or not. Janine, looking back the last fifty years, what would you say the Asbury revival really was about? It was putting individuals in a right relationship with God and in part of his 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 plan of redemption for the world. I mean, from that from that move of God, whether they were in the secular or when to be missionaries or pastors, the impact was was incredible. I mean, turned lives completely around. It was God wants to bring His church into a vital, pure relationship with Himself. That's what He did during this revival. And relationships that were damaged were healed, and there was a model there um, given. For every one of us that were there to know that when God comes, healing and restoration in the deepest level happen. I really feel that my role is interceding and believing God for this to come. So I wasn't surprised. Everybody was everybody was taken back that it happened. But when but I had been three years pleading and believing God for it. And to see it come in the magnitude it did, just, it just, I don't know, I don't know how to express it. But it just showed me that I knew then that when God asked me to do something, I go ahead and do it. What happened at Asbury affected the entire nation. This was, this was during Vietnam. That happened in the Vietnam War, had in the middle of Vietnam. And I had seen such an outpouring. I mean, it was nationwide. You see, uh, things that were simply tradition became reality. 
things that were simply vocabulary became human experience and what had been transmitted from you know from head to head now suddenly became living reality in people's hearts it was amazing the restraint of the Holy Spirit the emphasis was never upon the gifts of the Spirit the emphasis was upon sin the need for repentance the need for restitution the need for re repairing relationships human being to human being and the need for bringing a life into obedience to the highest and the best where the story was told it was like a spark going from a fire hitting dry brush and it would break and break out now it spread that way it spread to campuses it spread to churches it crossed denominational lines I came to the place where deep in my heart I thought you know every generation of students ought to have the chance to see that once 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 every generation of people ought to have a chance to see it once and I believe God wants to do it again I believe there are some stirrings some movings and I think it will depend on you and me if I understand what God has done here and what the students here feel they seem to me to be saying that we have found together one who can make bad people good and the best of people better and that that power is found in Jesus Christ. We know that we have found an answer. We believe that it is the answer to the needs of the heart of man both corporately and individually. That answer is new life in Christ through repentance for sin, faith in a living Christ, and immediate obedience to his holy will. And this is what we commend to you. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.